If you could send yourself a message back to early March before all this hit, what do you wish you knew back then? What do you wish that you had known then that you know now? Or what are some instructions you'd love to be able to pass along to yourself to say, this isn't going to make sense now, but soon it will. Uh, what would have made a difference? In our family, we've had both parents working full-time from home while having four children in high school, middle school, and elementary school learning remotely. And uh, we've had to adjust a lot along the way. There are things that we thought would work right away that didn't work out so well and some other strategies that we've kind of stumbled into along the way that have worked really well for us. And all along the way, we've been adjusting. So what's worked well for you? And, and what would you say, boy, I wish I could go back and change this? If you could send a letter back to yourself in early March, it might be that you would just simply say, you're going to want to eat all the chocolate in that first weekend, but pace yourself. For me, I'm a guitar player, and a big part of this season for me has been playing the guitar. I, I played my guitar every single day of the lockdown, and I can't remember the last time I played my guitar every single day for such a long stretch of time. It's been really life-giving and, and liberating and comforting, and I brought a lot of joy into my life. And for a lot of people, we found that habits and hobbies have been a real life-giving thing for us, whether it's woodworking or crocheting or an instrument. And if you could go back in time and, and write yourself some instructions to give yourself permission to enjoy that habit or enjoy that hobby or to, to moderate your chocolate intake, what would those instructions be? Whenever you buy a piece of clothing, it comes with this little tag on it. And on this tag, it has care warnings and care instructions for that particular piece of clothing. And each garment has its own set of instructions. You can't just treat every garment the same. And so these instructions on the care tag uh, help you to differentiate that garment from every other garment. If you treat every piece of clothing in your house the same, then there's a really good chance you're going to shrink your, favorite, your wife's favorite sweater. And yes, I have definitely done that. And yes, I totally blame the kids for it. And a couple years ago, I had a friend of mine who said, Steve, if your soul had one of those tags on it, what would it say? On these care tags, there's these symbols, and there's a whole chart of all these laundry symbols, and they look like Egyptian hieroglyphics to me. They look like ancient Sanskrit. I can't decipher the code, but apparently there are people who can. It must be some kind of superpower. And on these tags are the specific symbols that correlate to the way that this particular item needs to be cared for. And when you think about your soul, if we were to create a tag like this for your soul, for your particular soul, what would somebody who is entrusted with the care and the feeding of your soul need to know? What are those things that help your soul to flourish? What are those things that are detrimental to the flourishing of your soul? And how could we write that down for somebody? This is week five of our series called Emotional. I'm my name is Steve Dunmire. I'm blessed to be here at the Springville Crossing, Springville Campus, in the Joyland Theater, and this beautifully renovated uh, campus. I'm so glad to be able to be here and to see it for the first time myself in person. And over the last five weeks, we've looked at first, in the first week of the series about how our, our emotions ambush us and how we're ambushed by our emotions. And then in week two, we talked about how important it is to name our emotions, to be able to name what we're feeling and to to identify that outright, that I'm feeling angry, I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling overwhelmed, I'm, I'm feeling frustrated. And then to talk about how important it is to own our emotions, to not just bury them, to not push them away, but to, to own how we're feeling. And then last week we talked about how we're handed different scripts in life by our families or by other environments, and how in the spirit we can rewrite those scripts that have been handed to us. And this week, our goal is to create this kind of a care tag for your soul, 
and for your life. And if there's one person in the Old Testament who knew what the, the tag on his soul looked like and knew what it said, uh, it's Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel in the Old Testament is, is a person who knew how his soul was wired and knew what it looked, for, looked like for his soul to flourish. And this weekend, we're just going to jump right into a scene where Daniel's in a great predicament. Like when a movie opens up and the hero is already in great trouble, we're going to jump right in here in Daniel chapter 6, verse 16, where Daniel's in a great predicament. Look at verse 16 where it says, So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. As we walk through this passage today, I want to point out three things. And before we even get to Daniel's self-care tag and the, the care and the warnings for your soul, uh, we want to identify three things. And the first one is trials often feel permanent in the moment. Daniel was living in exile, and even though he was living in exile, he had risen to prominence there. And King Darius grew to trust and, and empower Daniel with great responsibilities. And it's really an unusual situation for Daniel, but, but yet he was having this rise uh, to prominence. And unfortunately, at the same time that he was earning the trust and the confidence of King Darius, he had these adversaries who didn't like him so much and who were jealous of the opportunities he was receiving. And so they devised a plan where they recognized that uh, they needed to find a way to take Daniel out. And so they began to butter up the king like he was a slice of toast. And they began to take out Daniel through the king by tricking the, the king into setting up a trap for Daniel without even realizing he, realizing he was setting up a trap for Daniel. And eventually the trap was sprung. Daniel falls right into the trap. King Darius falls right into the trap. And it leads to Daniel being lowered into the, the, into the lion's den. King Darius is sick about it. Daniel is spending the night with the lions, and that night his adversaries sleep the peaceful sleep of those who are victorious. But something I find interesting about this passage is that it looks to us on the surface as though Daniel's being executed, as though he's received a death penalty and he's being lowered into this lion's den for his execution. But technically, this is what they call a trial by ordeal. In the ancient world, the trial by ordeal is something that they would use sometimes when someone's guilt wasn't absolutely sure. And this is a way of testing to see maybe if they were guilty or not. And so being lowered into the lion's den was not a, an indefinite thing for Daniel. It was one night, for one night only, Daniel's going to be in the lion's den. And if he survives, then obviously he was innocent. But if he dies, then he's guilty. Other ways that they would do this is they would take people out to sea and they would throw them overboard. And if they survived, then they would pull them back into the boat or they would surround them by, with piles of wood and light the wood on fire. And if they survived, then it was a sign that they were innocent. And if they died, then clearly they were guilty. A modern example of this would be, I don't know, having two parents working full-time jobs from home while homeschooling four children. Uh, are we going to survive it? Some days I think we're going to survive it just fine. Some days I think the lions are going to come and get us. And the thing is, though, you never know at the time whether this is a temporary trial or whether this is your execution will face trials of many kinds. And in hindsight, you can look back and remember a hard time that you got through. But in the moment, our trials always feel permanent. It's easy to look back and, and know that the kids grow up so fast. 
But when you've got an infant who is not sleeping through the night for the 19th night in a row, you're pretty sure sleep is never going to come again. And spending a night with a lion sounds like a nice change of pace. At the time, our trials often feel permanent. And is there an area in your life where you are looking longingly for a light at the end of the tunnel, where you really need to, to find some glimmer of hope that this won't be permanent, that morning's going to come? Well, what makes Daniel so interesting, what makes Daniel so noteworthy and memorable is not the ordeal. It catches a lot of attention and it makes for great children's stories, Daniel spending this night in the lion's den. But what makes Daniel really noteworthy is what got him there in the first place, what put him there and the habits and the, the way that he had formed his soul that led him to being thrown in the lion's den in the first place. Daniel's enemies knew that if they were going to set a trap for Daniel, if they were going to have to find a way where his allegiance to his king competed with his allegiance to his God, that they knew he would choose his allegiance to his God. And they also knew that about Daniel that three times a day, like clockwork, he would go and spend time praying to his God. And so they devised this plan. They went to the king and they buttered him up and they said, King, oh, you're so great. You're so good to us. You should create a law that anybody for the next 30 days who prays to anybody but you will be thrown into the lion's den. And the king goes along with it and the trap is set. And the amazing thing, though, is to see how Daniel responds in verse 10 when he hears about this. Look at verse 10. It says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to the upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. He said there are three things we're going to unpack from this passage. And the first is that trials often feel permanent in the moment. And the second is that so we need a plan for the care and feeding of our souls. Trials often feel permanent in the moment, so we need a plan for the care and the feeding of our souls. We often admire Daniel for his courage in this moment, and we should. We often admire Daniel for his boldness in this moment, and we should. It's kind of like somebody wearing a Josh Allen jersey to Foxborough. That takes guts, kid. I'm, I applaud you for doing that. I'm not sure I'm one of those people, but I'm glad there are people in the world who do. And sometimes we look at this passage with Daniel opening up his window and praying this bold prayer after this edict has been issued, and we think this is some kind of act of rebellion. This is an act of revolt where he's rebelling against the king's order, but that's not quite what it is. We picture Daniel going open up to the window in his house and opening up the window and praying in a loud voice like a revival preacher, defying the king's order in that moment. But actually, he hears of this order and just goes home. And we picture this open window, but in that time, we're not talking about a glass window with a screen in it. We're looking at something more like a lattice where there's a, there's a chance for the breeze to come and go, but the view, the view is obscured a little bit. And Daniel goes and he's, he's not boldly showing this out for everybody. See, he's not, he's not defying the king openly as a rebel, but he goes and he's not even standing in front of the window. He's on his face praying, thanking God, just like he did every other day of his life. In fact, part of what this passage is doing is holding up as a contrast up for us of Daniel and King Darius, where King Darius is so easily manipulated. King Darius is able to be, be steered in this direction and that direction based on what, uh, how people play to his ego. And Daniel, on the other hand, not even the change of law can change what he's doing. 
King Darius is so easily manipulated and as Daniel, his trusted advisor, is being lowered into the lion's den, King Darius is sick about it. The passage names his emotions for us. He's overwhelmed. He's so sorrowful and in such grief over what he's done to Daniel. And meanwhile, Daniel's cool as a cucumber being lowered into this lion's den. King Darius is pleading with him. Another example that this is a trial by ordeal. Daniel, may your God save you from this. And meanwhile, Daniel's being lowered into the lion's den saying, what time are we starting in the morning, boss? I'll have the coffee on. This contrast between Darius and Daniel is striking. And Daniel has these rhythms and these habits in his life where he has structured his life around what's most important to him and it brings calmness and stability to his life. So think about your routines. How do you spend the first 15 minutes of your day? How do you spend the last 15 minutes of your day? What time, approximately, do you eat dinner every night? What are those things you do when you first walk in the door or when you're getting ready to leave? All those little routines seem insignificant, but they are the fabric of our lives that help to shape who we are. And one of the major outcomes of this whole season we've been through as a nation is the loss of those routines and recognizing how important those routines are to us even if we didn't realize it at the time. It's kind of like how Dr. Fauci tells us not to touch our faces, how important it is not to touch our faces and we think, oh, that's no big deal, I never touch my face. And then you realize you touch your face a hundred times a day and you didn't even realize you did it. Daniel is praying three times a day the way that you and I touch our faces a hundred times a day. It's just what he does. It's his habit. For in his case, it's an intentional habit. And one of the gifts of this season for us is as disruptive as, as it has been to have our routines disruptive, as, as emotionally charged it has, as it has been to have our world turned upside down, it has given us a brand new fresh perspective on all the routines and all the habits that do so much to shape us. And that's what makes Daniel a role model for us. And so if your soul came with one of these tags on it that outlined the care and the feeding of your soul. What would it say on there? It's kind of kind of like Gremlins, the movie from the 80s where this family adopts this adorable little creature and it kind of looks like a fuzzy baby Yoda. And the little animal comes with three instructions. Don't expose it to sunlight. Don't get it wet. Don't feed it after midnight, which is actually sort of what we're living through in these days. In these days of lockdown, there are so many of us who could say, I haven't left the house in weeks. I'm not bathing as regularly as I used to. Don't eat after midnight. Oh, well, two out of three ain't bad. And if you had those kind of instructions, if, if someone were to adopt your soul, what would they need to know is most essential for the flourishing of your soul and also what is most dangerous for your life? What would that tag on your life say? For some of us, we might say that we feel closest to God when we're when we're in times of study, that study and learning new things about the Bible and about theology, that makes us feel really close to God and alive. Or others of us, it's worship. That during music, we, we, are, we feel close to God and we feel his presence with us. For some of us, it's times of fellowship, being with other believers. For others, it's times in quiet, times in solitude and reflection and meditation and prayer. And other people, it's serving. That when you're serving other people and helping with their needs, that's when you feel closest to God. And if you can identify which of those areas where you often feel closest to God, how can you make that a bigger part of your life? And how can you include that in some instructions for your soul? Part of having this kind of a, a list is just acknowledging and owning, this is how I'm wired. 
with my unique personality, with my background, with my desire to be close to God, these are the values and things that are most important to me. It's saying, I believe in prayer, so this is when and how I will pray. It's saying, I want to be generous with my money, so here's how and when I'm going to be generous with my money. It's saying, I have this, this habit or this temptation that scares me, and I'm afraid that if this is left unchecked, it could derail my whole life. And so here is the accountability and the, the safeguards I'm putting in my life to make sure that this thing doesn't derail my life for the sake of my soul and the people who I love. And Daniel had a flourishing soul because he had taken an inventory of his life and because he had this habit of three times a day, no matter what came, seeking out the face of his God. And Daniel was able to peacefully go into the lion's den so that when the morning came, here's what they found, verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done anything wrong before you, your majesty. There are three things I said we were going to unpack in this passage, but spoiler alert, it's really just one thing. That trials often feel permanent in the moment, so we need to plan for the care and feeding of our souls to remind ourselves that God is good and he's in control. One of the challenges we have with reading a book like the book of Daniel in the Old Testament is that it feels so foreign to us. It feels so distant. It's in a distant place. It's in a distant time that we feel like it's, it's hard to understand and hard to relate to what's happening. And so this might be hard to relate to, but the situation that Daniel and his friends are facing is that they're living through a once-in-a-generation event that has turned their world upside down. I'm sure that's hard to relate to, but they're living through a time when every aspect of their life has been changed and a once-in-a-generation event has totally changed everything about their lives. And the, the scholars who study the book of Daniel say, if there's, they, they agree that if there's one sentence that summarizes the book of Daniel, it's this. Despite appearances, God is in control. Despite how things look, no matter how bleak things are, no matter how afraid you are, God is in control. And not only is God in control, he's good. He's so good. And as we've been walking through this series over these five weeks, talking about how important it is to, to acknowledge that we're ambushed by our emotions. They're not something we choose, they just kind of tackle us. And to name our emotions, name what we're feeling, and to, to own it, to not bury it or push it away, but to own how we're feeling and to acknowledge even the scripts that we've been handed in our life by family and by other inputs, and to rewrite some of those scripts in the spirit. Today, we want to really give you the tools to write your own care tag, to come up with a plan for the flourishing of your soul, a plan for the thriving of your soul in Christ. In fact, this is an ancient tradition in the church where people like Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had a plan, a written out document that outlined his plan for his soul and for the people who are part of the demonstrators in the movement that helped to set that movement up to right some long time wrongs in our nation and begin the wheel moving in that direction. And we have that 
list of, of commitments still to this day. And St. Benedict also wrote down on paper some commitments that he was making for the flourishing of his soul and for the community of people he was a part of. And that continues centuries later to still shape those who are serving in that community uh, to the glory of Christ. And so this is a part of a long-time tradition for the church where we have, in one form or another, taken pen to paper to say, these are commitments I'm making. This is how and when I'm going to pray. This is how I'm going to treat my enemies. This is how I'm going to be generous with my money. This is how I'm going to decide in advance how to handle difficult situations. And it's deciding in advance, long before the king sets an edict banning prayer, long before we face our enemies, long before we face trials, we're deciding in advance, this is how I'm going to react when that time comes. And it's a gift and it's liberating and it's all about creating a plan for the care and feeding of your soul. In fact, Monday night at 6.30 this week on, on Watermark's Facebook Live, I'm going to be taking a little bit of a deeper dive into what this kind of strategy looks like and some practical tips on how to write a plan like this. And we'll look at Dr. King's rule of, uh, rule of life, his plan, and St. Benedict's rule of life, a plan that they had for the care and feeding of their soul and the, and the souls of the people who are with them. And so if you'd like to find some practical tips on that, I'd love to have you join me Monday night at 6.30. Uh, because without a plan, most of us won't get very far. If we just hope that when the time comes, we'll do the right thing, maybe we will, maybe we won't. If we just have good intentions about somehow being generous, maybe we will, maybe we won't. But with a plan, there's some accountability and the Spirit of God uses that in a powerful way to shape us. So what are three, three to four things? What are three to four things if someone was entrusted with caring for your soul this week, the way that you might entrust them with a goldfish or a plant or a pet, what are three or four things that they would need to know about the flourishing of your soul? When do you feel closest to God? What are, what are you doing when, when you have really felt most alive in Christ? What are the people who are closest to you say? When, what would they say is most important for you? Does getting, getting enough sleep or time with people or not enough time with people, uh, time out in nature or time just in quiet. What are those things that help to shape your soul? Well, we can't go back to two months ago and send ourselves instructions, but there's no better time to start than right now blazing a trail forward. I mentioned earlier how one of the things that I do in my life that has been most helpful for me and, and during this unusual time, but throughout my life has been playing the guitar. It's been a a great source of joy and comfort and, uh, and peace for me. And I've loved being able to learn new songs and, and relearn old songs and just to fill our house with music. And years ago, when, when I bought the guitar that I currently own, uh, it was at the insistence of my wife, who has always been so good to me. And one spring she said, it's time for you to go get a new guitar. And so I, I tried to talk her out of it, but I didn't try to talk her out of it too hard. And so eventually went out and I played a number of guitars and picked this one guitar that was just right for me. And I was so excited when I brought it home and I opened up the case and inside of the guitar case was this little booklet that's called The Care and Feeding of Your Martin Guitar. And in this little booklet, there are instructions about how to adjust the truss rod, how to change the strings, how to tune the guitar, how to store the guitar, how to travel with the guitar, the proper temperature and humidity for the delicate woods that make up the guitar. But an interesting thing about this little booklet is that there are no scales, no chords, no songs. It doesn't tell you how to play the guitar, 
only how to care for it. And I imagine that some people, when they open up their guitar case and find this little booklet, they're inclined to throw it aside and say, man, I don't care about that. I just want to play Freebird. But there's a cost to ignoring the care and feeding of your guitar. Eventually, it doesn't sound quite so good. Eventually, it doesn't play quite so good. And if you neglect the care and feeding of your guitar long enough, eventually the music will stop altogether. The same is true of your soul. So often we open up a new day and we are so eager for, to get ahead with all the things that need to be done, to get on ahead with living, to get on with all the things that need to be accomplished. And we overlook the care and feeding of our souls. And eventually, if we overlook the care and feeding of our souls long enough, the bill comes due. But if, in the busyness of life, if on the list of things that need to be accomplished, we take time to stop and to think about how our soul can flourish in Christ, then our lives can sing a beautiful song to him. So if I can reverse the order of those three statements we've been talking about. God is so good and he's in control. And having a plan for the care and the feeding of your soul may be just what you need to get through this ordeal. God, we thank you for your goodness to us, that you are good, that you have been so good to us. You've been faithful to many generations and we stand on their shoulders, testifying to your goodness to them and trusting in your goodness to us. And we pray even now you would prompt each of us by your spirit to acknowledge two or three things that have been most important for our souls and for our lives to flourish. Instructions that we can write down as an act of discipleship and devotion to you to acknowledge this is how God has wired me, this is how my God has reached me, and this is how I can be the best that I can be in Christ for his glory and for his namesake. We trust you to see us through this time, Lord. And we pray all this in the matchless name of Christ our Lord. Amen.